Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello! Welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portio. We're taking a week off talking about character actors because I had the chance to speak to writer-director Karina Faith about her brilliant debut feature, The Power. Set in the 1970s as Britain prepares for electrical blackouts to sweep across the country, trainee nurse named Val, played by newcomer Rose Williams, arrives for her first day at the crumbling East London Royal Infirmary. On the day, many patients and staff are being evacuated to another hospital due to the blackout, while a skeleton crew of nurses are left behind to look after the patients that can't be moved. Terrified of the dark due to a childhood trauma, Val is forced to work the night shift, finding herself in a pitch-black near-empty building. Within its walls lies a deadly secret, forcing Val to face her own traumatic past in order to confront the force that's intent on destroying everything around her. The power is dropping on Shudder on April 8th, the day this episode comes out. It's well worth your time. It's press notes, call it the next great British horror film, and I would believe the hype in this case. What I really like about the movie is how distinct and specific it feels. I've seen hundreds of horror movies that take place in old haunted buildings, but the the 70s setting of the power, as well as its historical detail about the blackouts and its old hospital location, makes the movie feel really fresh. It allows the film to have all these creepy but visually striking scenes of nurses in the old style of uniforms wandering the long, dark hospital corridors with only the gas lamps they're carrying to illuminate their surroundings. The movie just taps into that age-old fear of the dark, in a way that's very smart but then also the film is using the heightened extreme nature of the horror genre to address very serious real world concerns even before any supernatural element is introduced the viewer has a nod in their stomach just watching what it's like to be a woman in a high stress male dominated environment and the things they can be forced to endure on top of that the film is addressing issues of institutional abuse as well but then as the power progresses both through its heroine val and the entity that comes to play at the hospital It subverts the way female characters in horror have often in the past been reduced to stereotypical tropes like the victim or the final girl or evil spirits to be vanquished. The character of Al winds up having a lot more agency than a lot of women do in horror, which is well overdue and feels really modern. So I'm a big fan of the movie and I was delighted to talk to its Reddit director, Karina Faith. Uh, She discussed with me where the idea for the movie came from, her relationship with horror, her influences, and how she shot one of the movie's many bravura set pieces. Anyway, that's enough of me rambling. Here's that interview. I hope you enjoy it. Where are you from? Right here. Back to serve your community. Thank you for choosing me. I require discipline. Stick to your rank. Never question an order. Yes, matron. I won't keep you if you don't fit. 
We have to move nearly all the patients out because of the cut tonight. You will stay on. The dark shift? Does the dark bother you? A place people die in should never be allowed to get that dark. Just congratulations on the power, your thrilling and terrifying debut feature film. And Thank you. Uh, you've spoken to a lot of filmmakers promoting their first movie, and what always amazes me is how long you know these films have been in development. And uh, you wrote the power as well as directed it. And when did yeah. when did you start writing the screenplay? And what was the experience like bringing it to the screen? I started writing the screenplay about six years ago, a little bit earlier for the actual um, development of the idea. The Writ writing process was quite long actually, the development process was quite long, um, not always the case but it kind of was born in various different iterations and different versions before it finally found its, its the form that we um, got the finance for and um, made. Right, and um, like, there's a lot in the power because it, it's a classic ghost story in many respects, but it's it's also a period piece that has all this uh, historical detail, and then it's also very timely in the 21st century and its themes. And I was wondering, what was the genesis for the screenplay, and then um, what was the, the process like merging those elements into uh, a, the cohesive whole that we have now? Um, the genesis was uh, me thinking about um, what was around in the news a lot of the time, which was um, these big institutional abuse cases that were breaking in this country. Um, the sense that there had been so much horrific stuff happening in all these kind of seats of power in our country that were only just being uncovered. And the feel of the, all the kind of lost, the loss of innocence and all the lost souls, as it were, that were the people that weren't heard and weren't listened to um, for all those decades. Um, that was just in my head a lot and I and I wanted, I thought that it felt like a ghost story, that all that stuff being held back. So I thought that would be a good setting. Then also just in my research for that period of time, the early 70s in this country, I came across um, an image of a secretary working in the pitch black doing her job as a telephonist in her 70s clothes but with um, an oil lamp next to her as her only light source and it looked so Victorian and so classic ghost story kind of gothic but it was in the 1970s so all those things just merged in my head and, and became the beginning of the story. Uh, that's great and uh, yeah because of it that 70s British hospital setting and uh, the topics of the film like sexism and institutional abuse as you mentioned like I, I think your movie feels a lot more specific than a lot of horrors and can you, can you talk about some of the research that went into you know the story elements you know like the blackouts you know the look of the hospital and kind of the attitude towards you know nurses and um orphans back then i read quite a lot of uh interviews with nurses at the time there was a really helpful um book which was a diary of a new of a very young nurse and her first years on the job which gave us a lot of information about the kind of day-to-day reality of the job and it just what became clear was the intensity of the hierarchies then in, in those kind of settings and it was like being in the army really um kind of real sense of uh, a general in charge and then the power kind of filtering down through the ranks to the bottom layer who had no power whatsoever and were quite badly treated quite often um so 
there was that research and then we looked at a lot of um, photographs from archives, there's amazing archives of very detailed medical archives of, of the equipment but also the uniforms um, and there's also some fantastic uh, nurse training films that are on YouTube which were invaluable in lots of ways. So yeah, we did get quite specific and in the end that really just ended up being texture but it gave, um, I think, a sense of um, validity to the concept at all, which is that if there is um, these intense power structures that people do really fall between the cracks and it, and it's extremely easy for a normal person to become a bully because they've got all this pressure raining down on them. So, yeah, that was something that I was thinking about a lot. Yeah, no, you can definitely see that in the movie. Um, yeah, the texture and the... That everyone's sort of been driven kind of a little crazy by working at the hospital, <laughs> it seems like, too. Um, yeah, I, I just, I watched your short from The Beast uh, to prepare for this as well, and it seems like you're very interested in telling horror stories or stories with horror elements um, with female heroes, and uh, do, do you think that's true? And do you think women characters have been historically underserved in the genre? I think that's an interesting area, because I think probably one of the reasons that I was drawn to the horror genre in general from a young age is that there it was probably one of the only areas where there was female leads mm. um i mean there was no female leads in most other genres apart from a you know very obvious famous few so that was the really the only space where you could see a female character taking charge of her situation so that um is true what is also true is that it's um a genre in which women have been used in as in a kind of story trait way in a very detrimental kind of um unhelpful way so it's it's an interesting space to work in as a woman i think um but yeah it's kind of second nature to me that i would create a, an interesting female role i think as as the lead mm. and uh, i want to thank you for allowing um, the Irish woman Terry to is the only one who I think remains unscathed <laughs> by all the carnage. <laughs> like right away, she's like, "I'm getting out of here." But um, without spoiling, like, in, in what ways did you aim to flesh out your protagonist Val so that she'd be more than just a final girl, which I, I think she is. I think I wanted her to feel like a character who was taking ownership of everything, of like of her past um of the mistake to allow herself to be silenced of of what happened to her of the situation that takes place over that night it's quite a big ask of a character really to do all that (laughs) (laughs) i wanted it to feel like um this was somebody who was basically being pushed to their very darkest place and surviving it and taking ownership of it As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. Hello, I'm Emma Jane from Fail Harder, the podcast that chats to people at the top of their game about failure, from their first memory of failure to how they cope with it now. I have some unbelievable guests on the show like Paul Meskel, James Cavanagh, Georgina Campbell, the list just goes on. And of course, we'd be mad to take failure too seriously, so every week I have 20 questions in front of me numbered at random. Most are straightforward, however, some are a little more unconventional. And in the spirit of failure, my guest can pick the number. They might not like the results, but life's not fair and neither is my podcast.
I Know That Face are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus and get bonus episodes of Headstuff Shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events and lots more. We here at I Know The Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. Yeah, I imagine having um, a star like Rose Williams is a big help in that too, because uh, I hadn't seen her before and I, I thought she was just incredible. And, you know, from the first moments that we see her on screen, like, we really like her and she just radiates a sense of kindness. But then as the film goes and, you know, she becomes possessed by this uh, murderous ghostly spirit and she's required to be very physical and is, like, writhing around on the floor and contorting her body into these crazy positions. Can, can you talk about her casting and, and shooting that, you know, first possession scene, which is really remarkable? Mm. Yeah, that's exactly what I felt when I saw her read for the first time, just on a tape, that she emitted uh, an instant kind of warmth combined with vulnerability that just made me kind of go, oh, I I care what happens to you. And that's a really hard thing to do. And I think it just comes from a, a real and true place from Rose and who she is, as well as being a good actor. She provided me that kind of um, real, really important shorthand to, to because it's such a short and intense time frame to just be with her from the beginning. And although we don't know much about her, I hope I was hoping for exactly that that people would want to stay with her and want to know more about her and like her because everything else around her is quite harsh. So that felt really important that she was accessible in some way. Yeah, I think Rose, um, she really wanted the role um, and wanted to collaborate and push herself as much as she could because it does go to some extreme places and and for me it was really important that the actor wanted that for themselves as well that they was it would be an exciting unusual ride for them to go to some different kinds of places with the acting and it it wasn't just me kind of putting her through the mill um that she relished the opportunity to kind of really show what she could do which is really different from what she'd done previously and with the um possession scene we spent a couple of days in a dance studio um with a movement coach working out it's actually all the ideas on it are based on an attack but without the attacker there so what kind of positions and shapes you might end up in if there was a kind of physical attack taking place on you um we just worked around that idea um and then put it together like a dance really and she learnt it and then so when she came to set she she knew all the different components um, and we were able to shoot it in lots of different ways and she just did it repeatedly but was able to really push herself because uh, she was quite in control actually of what was happening yeah and um, I love the way the power uses horror to tell a story about the the female experience that I I imagine a lot of women will identify with and, and particularly that early stretch when there are no supernatural elements and 
you were just highlighting what it can be like for a woman in a male-dominated environment and the things they can be forced to endure. And um, I actually think that while that it, like the movie does become very fantastical, like, I think horror is the perfect genre to explore those issues because it can convey that dread and terror more effectively than maybe a straight drama could. And uh, would you agree? And is that part of what draws you to horror? Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of that story um, is a combination of real world horror and imagined supernatural horror. Ultimately, in this story, it's not the supernatural horror that I think is the most frightening thing. Yeah, <laughs> and, definitely. And actually isn't in the story anyway. So I do think it's a very interesting space in that way. But I think it's a genre that allows you to really focus on atmosphere and tension and and actually those kind of insidious encounters um that's how i'd describe that experience for women it, it might it's not necessarily a big scale thing it might be something quite understated it's more an atmosphere or a, a kind of comment or something that's more the everyday experience of um the types of moments uh, for women that i've tried to put in there and i think the horror space allows you to present that without needing any other reason yeah i agree and um i imagine because it's a horror film a lot of men will watch this that maybe wouldn't if it was a straight drama and i was wondering for men who you know watch a film is there a lesson that you you would like people to take away from it like maybe you know consider their actions against women more mm-hmm. that like actions have consequences things like that i suppose i mean really i would hope that this is a story about that that kind of operates for different people in different ways in that I think it's about the dangers of being forced to hold things back and agreeing to hold things back and that kind of toxic nature which of a kind of pitter-patter, constant pitter-patter of of undermining behaviour and and that could apply to all kinds of people, not just women. But certainly, I guess this is a character who has had a build-up of experiences um, about being female in a kind of threatening male-dominated situation, ranging from extreme to kind of everyday insidious things. And that has to come out somewhere, that, that those actions do lead to something and they do go into some someone, even if you can't see it at the time. But um, in this case, she has the kind of cathartic way of getting it all out. But, yeah. but that doesn't always happen. Right, I got you. And, um, yeah, as I mentioned, I think like, the pair puts like, a modern spin on a classic type of ghost story. And I also think it looks gorgeous. And it does, you know, long corridors, the gas lamps in the dark. Even though the film foreshadows revelations, like, you know, I noticed Rose's face reflected in the Speak Up Against Abuse poster early on, which is amazing. Yeah, the person that was mentioned, Susan Hills, The Woman in Black, and uh, Dario Argento, Suspiria, were inspirations. Can you talk about that? I think that might have been more um, other people's references that were attached to it rather than mine. But my kind of main references were um, The Innocence, the Jack Clayton 1960s film Um, and then a kind of really less obvious one but it did end up being very instrumental to the design and the approach was um, Three Women by Robert Altman very concerned with um, identity and confusions around that and women how they interact with each other and um, power dynamics as well and me and the production designer and the DP got very obsessed with the use of colour and reflections in that film so that was a real touchstone and what about the score um, I, I thought that it was a very um, interesting way of making something that felt both of the past but also sort of futuristic as well 
That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's the score is by Max Wardner and Elizabeth Bernholz, who also works as Gazelle Twin. And they are very contemporary electronic artists, both in their own right, that make um, albums of music outside of film scores. So that they are extremely contemporary and modern. But the inspiration for the score was some of the kind of original synth sounds that were available at the time, some of the technology that was happening then. But they um, actually created a lot of the the sounds within the score themselves by visiting the location where we shot and recording Atmos from the big empty spaces and finding old trolleys and wheelchairs and pill bottles and stuff and, and recording the sounds that they made and a lot of that went into um, became the inspiration for different pieces in their score so they immerse themselves pretty fully into the story yeah that sounds amazing yeah i just want to say like the movie is out on april 8th on shutter uh, and so the day this episode will be going out of the podcast and uh, it'll be the first time the public see it am i right are you, are you excited or nervous about that both um, yeah, I mean, I, I try not to, I think it would be a fool's errand to worry too much about what people think, because I would never get out of bed. <laughs> but uh, but um, I'm very interested to see if it connects for people and if the themes resonate for people um, and, and what people take from it, really. I'm, I'm sure they're going to love it. I, I was a big fan. Uh, is there anything you're working on in the meantime that you can tell us about or any follow-ups? I'm working on uh, a Netflix show at the moment, um, which I can't be more specific about, but it's kind of in the supernatural realm. And I've just started working on a second feature, which is also in the horror space, but quite a different end of it. So I can't say more than that, really, just because nothing's clear, but stuff in the similar zone. Yeah, something to look forward to. Um, that's everything I wanted to ask. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time and speaking to me. I really appreciate it. And again, as I said, I really enjoyed the movie. Cheers. That was my interview with Karina Faith, the writer-director of The Power. You can check out the film on horror streaming service Shudder now. It comes I Know The Face Recommended. We'll be back on our main feed in two weeks discussing a character actor's career again. Please, if you listen to our show and you like it, consider signing up to Headstuff Plus and donating five euro a month. You'll unlock special bonus episodes of I Know That Face. One of those available now is a full hour-long episode on the acting career of RuPaul. That's right. Andrew and I teamed up with Keenan James, the host of fellow Headstuff podcast Sissy That Pod, which recaps Drag Race, and we discussed everything from RuPaul's supporting roles in Spike Lee's Crooklyn, the Brady Bunch films on But I'm a Cheerleader, to his starring roles in Passion Project Star Booty, ooh, bad movie, and the 2020 TV series AJ and the Queen. Basically, it's the four of us deciding whether RuPaul's performances in these fine pieces of Kino should Shantae you stay, or should just sashay away. It was so much fun to record, I hope people check it out. Uh, also, rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Email iknowthefacepod at gmail.com if there is a character you'd like us to cover on the show or you're someone who works in podcasts or film or media and would like to be a guest on our show. Follow us at Twitter at iknowthefacep1. Follow us at Instagram at iknowthefacep. Follow us at Facebook at iknowthefacepod. Thanks to Charlene Fernandez for editing and for running our socials. Until next time, see you later, Cinephiles. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.